IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, everyone, to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. And Kirsten, this idea of IntelliKey and what makes an IntelliKey leader has led us to some rich, rich conversations with our guests, hasn't it? Oh, Mark, it has. And I'm so excited for today's. I think it's going to be yet another good one, don't you think? Well, exactly. And as we think about how companies and individuals are trying to be more competitive in a changing business climate, but also a changing social climate. You know, we have to address all of these issues. And we're just so glad to have today, Dean Sonderrigger. Dean, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Dean is a senior vice president at Walters Kluwer. They're an information services company. Well, they've got 19,000 employees. So that's a lot of potential leaders, but that's also a leadership challenge for those in the C-suite, for sure. The company is uh, 4.6 billion euros at last count and probably climbing. They serve 93% of the Fortune 500 companies out there. So, Dean, you've got a real bird's eye view of what so many different kinds of corporations and different kinds of leaders are facing. What are you hearing the most? So I, to, to set a little bit of additional context, I don't run 19,000 employees. I, I have probably about well, 500 okay. in there. Yeah, so, well, uh, only a few uh, Just a small 500. <laughs> yeah, uh, left I get some inquiries from my friends that it will be a little bit different. But I think that one of the things that when we look at it, and we're, we're a business that has a legacy of publishing. So we're a 180-year-old business, believe it or not. Clearly, I haven't been at the business for 180 years, but um, <laughs> just, shy the, just shy of that. Yeah, but we—we we, if you go back, you know, 20 years or so ago, a lot of what my group, when we focus on legal professionals, provided was books and and loose leaf periodicals around the law. And so when I look at the market and what businesses are facing, I think a lot about change. I think about the the digital transformation that's going on in all of our lives in one sense. And you know, if you think about, I just, in fact, put an order in for grocery delivery through Amazon, uh, which is something that just a few years ago I probably wouldn't have done. And, and, and so a lot of our patterns and what we do has changed and how we measure value in our lives has changed. You know, when the pandemic came in, the idea of convenience and safety of not going into something far started to outweigh the idea of the experience of being in store. And so value got reset. And I think that a lot of us in the business world are having experiences where the markets that we serve, there is this resetting of value, if you will. My customers that are, are practicing attorneys or legal professionals start to think now in terms of how do I do the job I'm doing faster or how do I get to a better outcome for this job than I had uh, previously? Whereas if I went back 10, 15 years ago, it's not that they weren't focused on good performance. They, of course, always have been. But you think about things like when I'm running my business, how many hours am I going to bill? And so now that you have technology has come into the picture, uh, the market that we serve is much more focused on how do you get the job done effectively? And, and that then changes as a business in the market how we look at the world. And I see that, I give my business an example, but I see that in a lot of different businesses. You see this idea of as technology has come into play, a lot of the, the value measures have shifted over time. And then we as businesses 
and leaders in businesses have to help our organization shift to meet that new definition of value. Well, I'm glad you used this word because I wondered about value creation which sounds sometimes just monetary, you know, it's a financial value, but also how we express values and values creation. How is the clash or balance between those two ideas? It's interesting in the sense that all of us who went to business school at one point in time got taught the adage that shareholder value maximization is our job as leaders, right? That which, you know, the, the, short, the shorthand of that is that we want to drive the stock up as, as, as high as possible, give a return to our investors. And at the same time, I think, and again, I'm going to date myself, but if you go back to, uh, you know, like even back to Peter Drucker in, in the 1960s or so, who talks about if you take care of your customers, your customers take care of you. Right. At the end of the day, you have to do things for them that provide value to them. You have to focus on their needs and their wants and their, uh, their desires. And that gets people up in the morning. Right. I won't get up in the morning and say, oh, let me raise this. Uh, you know, I hope my CFO and CEO are not listening and getting mad at me about this. But I, I don't get excited when I get up in the morning to say, oh, let's let's tick the stock up. But on the other hand, if I say, OK, I can solve a, cr- a problem for my customer. Um, that they are having trouble with to make their lives better and bring something to them, that gets me excited. And that gets all the people that work kind of in the business excited. Now, you asked the question specifically about company values. And I think that that's a great question. I think it often gets lost is that we as individuals working in a company are that. We are people with our own lives, our own demands. Things are going on personally, professionally, within our families and outside. And I think that good companies, and I would like to think that, that my company is a very good company around this, have those sense of values. We talk about the idea of a, a company value as, as a win as a team. We talk about make things better as things that are company values that we have. Uh, aim high and deliver. So, so seek out and, and deliver against some customer value. Put the customer at the focus of things. I think an overlay of that, along with a strong set of respect for the folks that are working in the business, gets you to a point from a team standpoint where there is uh, the ability to achieve substantial and significant things. And in the absence of that, you don't get that loyalty. You don't get that drive inside the company. It's unbalanced, if you will. Mm-hmm. I love this idea of teams working together because that is kind of where we're going. The hierarchy is shifting a little bit in that it needs its teams to create customer satisfaction. And, you know, I, I guess I call it every stakeholder wins from shareholders to employees to customers to management. Nobody's left out of the food chain. Everybody can win equally. Where my question stems is a little bit different than that. You know, historically, you're undergoing a change change, a philosophical change, right? How to adapt to the digital technology-driven markets today? And how do you stay relevant? And historically, larger companies have a difficult time pivoting. That's why these newer companies have the capacity to come up with brand new technology and transcend that of the larger companies, but then the larger companies tend to buy them. So how are you able to drive this? Because it sounds like you're innovating creativity within a very large organization which has to take phenomenal leadership to be able to do that, to steer a big ship in a new innovative direction. I think you put your finger on something very important, right? Which is that the large companies have existing revenue streams, right? And so I I think about my my example of books. I, to this day, um, have a substantial revenue stream out of printed books that attorneys are looking for. And so I'm 
I'm a little bit north of 50. So I would say 50 is kind of the dividing line, if you will, is that if you went to law school in that time, you grew up on books. And so there's still a strong group of that. So the temptation that one gets into is that you're getting positive feedback from the marketplace because people are still buying your stuff. And, and so it's very easy to get into kind of um, an introspective world, if you will, where I'm just looking at the revenue coming in and I'm looking at, I continue to produce product and I lose touch with the marketplace. And, and so I think that when you look at transforming a business or you think about resetting in the marketplace, what's really critical is, is first of all, having some folks that are out um, actively in the marketplace to understand kind of what's going on. That's talking to customers, that's talking to partners, that's looking at some of those innovative uh, startups that you talk about um, and that are doing really neat things. And that's certainly true in my marketplace, right? And then communication becomes really, really critical is that you provide that feedback back from the marketplace through the organization, but in a way that's digestible. Um, you know, not, not everybody is going to have the same affinity for uh, some of the intricacies of legal uh, maneuvering, if you will, and, and certain things. But you want to try and bring that back and say, how are they measuring value? Why? What are some examples that you've got? And it's really an evangelization kind of activity there. Because by and large, if you've got a good cultural environment, um, what will happen is that people want to, uh, to achieve, they want to do well, um, but they may not understand fully what's going on in the market. And so in the absence of that feedback, they kind of make their own feedback up and continue in the same path. So I think that that's the key thing to start off with is just to get people visibility into the market. I'll give you a, a simple little example when we first started um, uh, or, or in the not so distant past, um, we would have sales reps would go in and sell individual book sales to libraries, say a, 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 a law school library. Um, and so I've got a library right now that's got 20 subscriptions and like maybe another 40 or 50 annual book deliveries. And they get invoiced separately for each of those things. Now, this is a small thing, but when I talked to that customer, they said, why am I getting 80 touches? <laughs> um, in a year, right? Well, uh, I, I have an ongoing group of business with you. Why do we not have an annual kind of contract that pulls all that stuff up? And you look at my business and it has been set up with the, uh, and it grew over time organically into this idea of, oh, well, they ordered something extra. They ordered something extra. And we just have some reps that do this uh, on a regular touch basis without thinking a lot about it. When you bring that perspective back from the customer that says, wait a minute, these people want a partnering relationship with us, not a transactional relationship. They want to talk with us on a regular basis about what's going on in the world, and they don't want to talk about invoices 80 times a year. That resets the market or the, the, uh, the internal kind of uh, dialogue about how do I meet that goal, and it allows me the space to say, well, you haven't been doing anything wrong by a sense of malice. But at the same time, the thing that you're working so hard on isn't perceived as valuable by the customer. So let's fix that. Let's move you over to something over. Let's change the process. And that's from operational things like I just described to product and, and the way that we provide value. And so I think that that's the key to really getting into that is starting to reset the conversation with input directly from the market. Yeah. And you're really describing a mindset of what could be, you know, or what if 
rather than what can we do to protect or what can we do to defend or this is the way it's always been done. I mean, these are the classic issues. You know, as we think about these value building and values building, to talk about it theoretically, it's great. But do you personally feel that you're taking a leadership role that is a calling of yours, that's purpose-driven, you know, that's really trying to elevate a different kind of potential? Do okay, you feel I love this question. Gut? This is a juicy question. I call these juicy questions. Yeah, it's one of those, the, those oh, feel like the, the spotlight just came on over top of your head a little bit. It's a question, exactly. right? Um, well, you know, it, it's interesting. I talk to people about this a decent amount because I think that you, you're focusing on development of employees, right? In, in, in a good organization, you're hopefully talking to your uh, employees on a regular basis about where do you want to go, which may not be anywhere. You might want to be continuing to do the same thing. But, you know, what is the career path that you see for yourself? And that should be a two-way conversation. They should be talking to you about what they want, and then you should be able to give them some feedback on that. So, it, it, you know, the job that I'm in, there's probably a bunch of people that would like the job that I'm in. And I have this conversation with them along the lines of, it almost has to be something that you feel compelled to or called to do, because the reality of it is that it is a, it pulls on you in many, many different ways. You know, if it doesn't bother you when there's restructuring that goes on and you see people that are leaving, if it doesn't bother you when uh, when there's things that happen that impact your employees, you just you shouldn't be in the seat. Right. And, and so when the, the larger that that group of folks that you feel responsible for, um, the more that that kind of weighs at you. And then of course, it is a sense of arbitrage. Also, I, I have a responsibility to the company to provide um, certain performance. Uh, and to lead out strategies and growth plans. So I have a, a dual responsibility in that. And, and I do think it, it very much feels like you don't, if you don't feel compelled or called into this type of a role, you really shouldn't be in it because you will burn out very, very fast. You know, I'm listening to you and the audience can't see, but our listeners can't see, but I'm smiling, right? Because what I just heard was humanity. I think anybody who's been in an organization long enough eventually has to walk through rifts and look at restructuring roles and watching families impacted. And you're right. It's very trying to look people in the face day after day and still be there in your, and to be called to something larger. What would you say is your larger calling? And thank you for bringing the humanity to it because it's a big deal. Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, are you asking personally or professionally in this? Uh, maybe both. They, they, they do intersect. I mean, I think that for me, um, Tom educated as an engineer that has shifted over into business. And so if anybody has had the misfortune to be married to an engineer, um, you'll, you'll know that we tend to be problem solving kind of people. And so what gets me, there's two things that really get me kind of excited. One is looking into a difficult uh, or, or a complicated situation and finding uh, a solution to that. So that problem solving mentality and then the ability to get a group of people to move through that together so that the, the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts of that. That's the thing that really, I really, really enjoy. I, I'm probably not a manager that does well in a steady state kind of environment. So I'm drawn to things that oh, are- Oh, I know you. I know you well. <laughs> I'm drawn to things that are transformational or that, that where there's a, a, a change going on. And, and I think that the, the thing that I, I would say is my purpose in that is to be able to solve the problem elegantly and then to bring, be able to bring a group of people along with me to do it. And, and I think that that is um, 
that's a feeling when you're able to do that and you see people working together uh, on something that is, to me, from a professional standpoint, uh, just unequaled. Uh, one of the nicest um, compliments I ever got uh, from somebody who was a manager that looked at me and said, gosh, your team really is working well together and, and doing things I never saw them doing before you got in there. And that, that to me is, okay, I've helped everybody else kind of along in, in the way. And that's, that's, that's what I really enjoy a lot. Uh, that's exciting. Well, Dean, you have a unique perspective of the business. Uh, and even as we were talking earlier about, you know, trends in ESG and you know, even crypto, EFTs, you know, we always like to talk about these things on the program as well. Just these future trends. What's your view of the other transformations that you feel are coming? Yeah, I think that you touched on on one in the ESG space. I think that there is just a whole heck of a lot more, and this is not just only in my business, but I think I look at my customers in particular too. I think there's a whole lot more um, attention and awareness to topics that perhaps have not been um, in the forefront. I think the concept of diversity and the importance of diversity in business, and we've all been through some of the analyses where, they, where we're told, oh, gosh, if you have a diverse company, um, you actually perform better. You have multiple perspectives of thought, and it's, it's just a more enjoyable place for, personally for me to be in. I think that you're now seeing the market say, well, gosh, we need to have diversity and an attention to diversity. Um, Walter Fleur has been blessed in the sense that we've had very good gender diversity for a good while. Our, our CEO is a woman. A lot of the leaders are very strong women. We're working on the kind of racial diversity, ethnic diversity, if you will, uh, as part of that. But I think that you see the mandate starting to come in, both through the companies themselves, but also through shareholders. And, and ultimately, I think you will see uh, regulators like the SEC leaning in on this. I think that also extends to things like ethical supply chain sourcing. You know, do we know who it is that's working uh, in our factories that are providing these in the different countries? Uh, are the people treated um, in a humane fashion? Um, are, are the suppliers uh, wreaking havoc on the environment in some fashion or another, depending on the industry that you're in? So I think that you see a large trend around that. And I think that the fact that shareholders are becoming active and mandating this uh, really gives it teeth because when the shareholders start to get involved, first of all, the companies will move, but second of all, the regulators will have to step in also because you want to have some sense of uh, consistency across companies. The, the sign to me that this is starting to take hold is that a lot of companies, including my own, have um, ESG measures as part of our compensation. Uh, very that good. is huge. And that I assure you that that gets somebody's attention. Well, it does. And what a great conversation, Dean. We, we've really enjoyed this. And as we close, you know, we're always curious about looking ahead to the next generation. By the time we're listening to this program, we're in you know, well into 2022. A new generation of graduates is coming out. Many people are still deciding, do I go back to work? Do I leave the company? Do I start my own thing? Where do you feel now the purpose-driven company what the place for new leaders is going to be. I think that right now it's a very, very tight labor market, right? So I think that we're in a mode where um, people have choices. And we've had some people, they call it the great resignation, right? There's a bunch of people who have chosen not to, not to go back to work. When you look at trying to recruit the best and brightest folks to come into your company, new graduates, they're expecting purpose-driven work. So that idea of, hey, you're going to... Um, you're going to go through some hard knocks for about five, six years. Um, and then once you get through that, we might give you something interesting. 
I think you're having people who are opting out or doing different things on that. And so I think that model is, is less viable. Um, and if you add that with a very tight labor market, I think that that gets to that. So I do think there is that demand, if you will, uh, from us as leaders to make sure that we're providing an environment where people see purpose in the work that they do. They see opportunities for advancement. Advancement may not be a bigger job with a bigger title. It might just be simply professional advancement where they build skills. Right. And being cognizant of that is, I think, a really key thing. And I think that's only going to grow um, over the next decade or so. Uh, as you see, I think the labor market will cease to be so tight at some point in time. But but I do think that demand um, and I think you see that in my customers, for instance, in law firms, you used to have a idea that everybody came in as an associate and they're going to work seven years or so um, and not see their family on this partner track. And that's kind of getting blown up at this point in time you know so i think and i think that personally i think it's a positive thing that, that change is occurring absolutely i couldn't agree more I, I know i paid my hard knocks and i'm not an attorney but the corporate world is no joke climbing up that ladder right absolutely, yeah yeah well and if i was a new graduate if i uh, dialed the clock back it would not be about my timesheets. <laughs> you know right. this, this is not how many hours can i fill out in a week and i think that the other thing that you've got is with the, with the advent of technology also is you have the ability to have a much greater impact with an individual than you might have had in the past too and so i think progressive companies companies that are, are, are thinking forwards have the idea of i don't want to hire somebody and just have them do drudgery we all know that there's a certain amount of drudgery in every job Right. But but the idea is that if you can find a way to make it better, if you can find a way to make it more appealing and meaningful for people, you're going to get more out of them. They're going to stay and they're going to refer their friends to come over and work for you. And they may even leave, but they also may come back. You know, so I think that that's the thing that uh, that we try and keep in mind. Uh, very good. Well, Kirsten, thanks for a great conversation. Dean, thanks for being a guest on our program. Hey, Kirsten, Mark, it's my pleasure. And uh, thank you so much. And listeners, our guest has been Dean Sonderegger. He's a senior vice president at Walters Kluwer, a public company that's all about information services. Dean's areas, especially in the legal and software and business solutions. This idea of looking at the company's purpose, which leads to the individual employee, the individual contributor's purpose too, all to a higher potential, right, Kirsten? For the planet, Absolutely. for the people, all of the above. Yeah. And I will say, I just, I want to close with this. You know, you and I have talked on many occasions, right? The impact has to come from the money. And if the money sees value in the environmental shifts, social shifts, then everything else changes, mm -hmm. right? You follow the money, you'll always get an answer. So I'm left very excited. You know, I spent my life in investor relations and fundraising, right? That was never, ESG was not a topic. So to hear that the shareholders are driving this, this also gives me hope for the future. It's a very exciting tidbit that I think our, you know, our market, our, even our listen, listeners would really want to take note of because it's important. Well, absolutely. Well, listeners, come back again for our next episode. We're going to continue talking with conscious leaders all over the world and in many different industries about how they are developing their organizations and their people along these more conscious leadership practices. So until next time, for Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson for IntelliKey Leadership Stories. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintellikey.com.
I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.